Good morning, church. My name is Joel Dunn, and I'm a covenant member here at Redeemer San Angelo. And it's a privilege to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that we, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. All righty. Well, hey, if you, like Joel just read, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Um, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 14 this morning. And really quick, um, Joel, I noticed that you had it. Can you raise up your little journal? Um, we have a few of these little scripture journals left. What this is, is just the book of Colossians. Uh, the text is on one side, and there's just empty space for you to write on the other side. If you have not picked up one of those um, yet, a few, there's a few left out in just outside the sanctuary. And so that's our gift to you. We'd love for you just to, it to be just a tool for you to use uh, to engage the world the word with, whether you bring it here to take notes or whether you just, in your own individual study time, you can use that for questions, reflections, and just anything that the Lord might be stirring up in you. And so anyways, if you have not picked up one of those, you are welcome to that. I think there's a few left. So anyways, so Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. Um, so we live in an interesting age um, where social media has a pretty dominant uh, effect and influence on our culture, do we not? Uh, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, I don't know, there's like always a new one every week, I'm not quite sure. But um, uh, one of the things that's so interesting about social media, though, is the access that we have to a wider audience um, that have, we haven't had in previous generations. Uh, we can tweet, we can post a picture, we can post our opinion on something, we can share something, and all of a sudden we have this wide audience uh, of people who can see what we're saying. And what's even stranger, I think, even about social media is that we now have a different kind of access uh, to celebrities uh, that we never had before. It, with a click of a button, I can share with Nicolas Cage how I really think of him as an actor, right? Um, I'll save those thoughts for myself. Um, or or, or we, can, we can share something, we can respond to something that someone of fame um, has said or something, whether we like it or dislike it, we can all of a sudden respond. And even on some occasions, uh, maybe some of you, this has been your experience, they actually respond. Nicely or meanly, I don't know. Uh, depends maybe on what you said. But, right, but they can respond. Right? So this kind of accessibility um, and this kind of interaction with people of fame and acclaim, like, has ne there's never been a time like this um, that we had this kind of access to uh, people of fame. Um, um, but it's one of those things, though, uh, as cool or as bad or as fun, uh, whatever your take is on social media is, the confusion that many might have is that this accessibility means I know you. That because I have this kind of access, because I can tweet at you, because I can share this picture with you, because I can give you this angry comment of this thing that you did that I didn't like, um, that all of a sudden that means that we actually know the person, but that, that's not true. B believe it or not, I actually hung out with Vince Vaughn one time when I was 20 years old. But guess what? I don't know Vince Vaughn. Um, right? We can't confuse accessibility or us knowing some trivia, knowing some facts about somebody as that, hey, I actually know this person. That I actually 
know this person. I have a relationship with this person. Similarly, um, as we think about who our God is, God is not just a doctrine to be mastered, a theology to be made known, but rather he is a person that we are to know in relationship. Like we obviously want to believe and know right things about God and believe correct doctrine, have good theology. Those things are all important. Don't hear me not say that. But at the end of the day, God is not just a doctrine. He's not just uh, someone we just want to have a list of facts that we know things about him. But rather, he is a person who we are to engage in relationship with. Because the thing is, an atheist can know a lot about God and the God of the Bible, um, but they don't truly know him. They don't truly know him. And while knowing God is certainly an intellectual thing, you know, we do need our minds. We do need to open up the word and read. Um, If if it doesn't, we don't bring what we know to the heart and then carry that out in relationship with him, then it's no different than us just saying, hey, I know all these things about this celebrity. I know all these things about whomever. God, um, our Father, understanding um, him and knowing him in relationship um, is not just about having facts, but rather it's engaging and it's about abiding in him. And so, so for us today, as we're continuing our series in the book of Colossians, um, my hope for us, so we're in this section that Paul is introducing the letter. He is thankful for this group of people. And we looked at that last week. But it, it, the section that we're going to be looking at today is a prayer. Really, it's it's how he's praying for this group of people. And the thing that he's praying for is that they would experience the fullness of knowing God and abiding in him. That they would experience this relationship with God that is so all-consuming that as a result of this knowing who God is and living in a relationship with him, that it affects and directs all the rest of their life. And so, so the question that I want us to think about today as we begin diving into the text, and I want you to just ask this to yourself, is do I know God on a surface level or do I really know him as Father? Do I know God, uh, just so I know some things about God, do I have some, the correct theology, which is good, or do I actually use that theology and bring it to the heart? Do I know him as my Father? And so let's go ahead and start looking in, in verses, uh, verse 9 um, through 10, 9 through 10. And so we're going to be looking at this question. And I want you to let this question be something that just sinks into your heart as we go through our time together in the Word. So Paul says, uh, starting in verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So Paul, like I said, he continues this thought that he had from last week, and he begins with this this statement, and so since the day we heard. Um, What he's saying there, he's continuing the thought from before. And so we looked at last week that he is thanking and praising God because of the faith that they have in Jesus, because of the hope that they have in him, and because of the love that they have for one another. All those things, faith, hope, and love, all revolve around the person and work of Jesus. And so he's talking to believers here. And as a result of talking to believers, he's continuing a prayer of maturity for them. 
He's praying that they would grow in the fullness of knowing God. He's praying a prayer of maturity. And here's the thing. We can't grow in maturity as Christians if we aren't first a Christian, right? And so he's thanking God that, that, that as a result of you putting your faith in Jesus, um, I'm, we, I want to pray this prayer of maturity over you. And it's a prayer that it's for the sake of their ongoing growth. He's praying, I love that he says, I pray without ceasing. It's not that, it's this fact that every waking thought that Paul has, he's praying for the Colossians. But really what he's saying is that every, Paul is, has such a posture of abiding in Jesus. Has, oh, he's always praying. He's always thinking about some church. And when he thinks about the Colossians, not only is he thankful, but he's praying that they would know, that they would be filled with the spiritual knowledge and understanding that leads to a life worthy of the Lord. And he's, like I said, he specifically asked that he would, they would fill with the spiritual knowledge. And that word fill and knowledge are incredibly important as we work our way through the text. Uh, first off, the word filled, it literally means filled to the brim, to where there's no other room for anything else to come in. Uh, this might be a bit of a weird word picture, but how many people in here like Julio's? Just a few? My people, let's go to Julio's afterwards. Let's break bread. Um, right, but like, so when you, whenever you get on the, the server's really good side um, and you tell them you want a bacon, egg, bean, and cheese burrito and they just pile it on there and then when you get home and you open and you start eating it, like the stuff just overflows, right? They literally crammed so much stuff in there that there could have been nothing else left in that burrito, right? And so it's just this idea, it's filled to the brim. You're eating and stuff is just overflowing. That's the picture that Paul is giving us here. When he says that I want you to be filled with the spiritual knowledge, it's this idea that it's overflowing. There's nothing else that could be crammed in. So lesson, be nice to your Julio servers. Amen. All right, worship team, let's go. Um, No, right? So he says to be filled. And the word that he uses for knowledge, um, it's, it's interesting. This is actually a word that is commonly used for knowledge is, is gnosis. And it's this general meaning of an understanding. It's this general knowledge. But the word that he uses is actually a different word. It's, it's a word that actually, uh, when, when, and when used, it's meant to be understood that it's not just that I understand and get it, but I, I get it here. And the knowledge that is being talked about is a knowledge that is full of wisdom and discernment. Um, and it's, and the, what he's really communicating here is that, um, that this spiritual knowledge um, is, is meant to uh, be so deep within our hearts that it's able to discern what is true and what is not. It's a discerning knowledge. It's a knowledge in which you're acknowledging that there is a truth. And that truth is guiding, and that truth is all-consuming, and that truth needs to be in here so much to where I can look into the things of this world and be able to say what is true and what is not. And he wants them to be filled with that kind of knowledge. And like I said, it makes sense that this is what he's praying for. He's setting the tone for the rest of the letter because Colossians is about addressing why only Jesus is all we need. Why only the gospel, uh, we don't need to add anything else to Jesus. We don't need to add anything else to the gospel. And so it's, it's so imperative that we get that, that why he's giving this prayer of spiritual understanding. It's because he wants them to be so rooted in the gospel they want to have their lives like the, the banner of only Jesus on their hearts so that nothing else can get in because that's what was going on. 
other people were trying to break through and trying to bring in these other truths that weren't of the gospel, right? And so it's the spiritual understanding that he wants them to be filled with, that is full of discernment. And and, and really, like I said, what is the spiritual knowledge? I believe it's, it's the gospel. It's this, he, they wanted them to be so rooted in the fact that Jesus came and lived this perfect life, died a death that we deserve, that he did not, rose again, and that in him, when we place our faith in him, we are reconciled back to God. We have full relationship with him, that God no longer sees us as sinner, but he sees us as righteous. And that righteousness is only earned by Christ and Christ alone. That's the spiritual wisdom and understanding he's trying to get. He's trying to help them understand this is it. This is the one you be filled with. For what purpose? For what purpose? Well, he says in verse 10, um, so as to walk in a, manner, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So this is why he wants them to be filled with this not spiritual knowledge. It wasn't for the sake of them just to know some stuff and know some cool facts about Jesus, but rather he wanted them that knowledge to be applied to their life. They didn't want them just to know truth. They wanted them to live truth. And so what he, why he's praying this, he wants their whole life to be revolved around the gospel, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's, it's, it feels right, but rather every part of their life, they want to be revolved around this gospel, that this gospel message affects the way in which they live. And what this whole, first off, hopefully should help us do is first off, reflect on um, that, is there any part of me um, that wants to bring something else in other than Christ? Is there something else that I want to allow influence in my life um, to, or to have an equal seat at the table as Jesus, right? And so it's, it, what he's saying is like, we, we want none of that because that's going to distort the way you live. That's going to distort the way in living in a worthy manner, right? And really, if we have something equal, um, if we have some, something else equal uh, at the table that's helping us guide our decisions, um, Jesus really isn't even ruling, Right? Because all things are in submission to him. And so it's this idea that, um, that we want Christ to be, we, the, the way that we live, um, we want it, the gospel to have effect of it. We want to be so filled with who Jesus is that it affects the way we live. John, Moore, John Mark Comer, um, who wrote a book called The uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend, um, he says uh, this in regards, in regards to what we're talking about. He says, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in this world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or worse. And so... When he says that we want to be filled to the knowledge of spiritual wisdom so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it's this idea that we want to be apprentices of Jesus. We want to so attach ourselves to him that nothing else can seep in. 
And it's one of those things, too, that whenever we hear Paul say we ought to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, I think it's good for us to ask that question. What, else, what is something that I might be tempted to um, allow have equal influence as Jesus? But something else that's also really important for us to consider is that sometimes when we see this phrase, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we all of a sudden have this need as well. I need to put on my working hat. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to just do all these good things. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to cuss a little bit less. Not all the way, just a little bit. Um, I need to do all these things. I need to pull myself up. I need to work harder because the harder I work, the more worthy of a life I'll live for Jesus. And Jesus likes when I work hard, right? The temptation uh, on the flip side, like I said, we need to ask that question. Is there something else that we may want to have rule equal rule with Jesus, but we need to also consider that the temptation of this text is that we want, to cons- we want to think that my way of living a worthy life before the Lord is pulling myself up on my bootstraps and working harder. And even in that, we are not relying on Jesus, we're relying on ourselves. To where either, if we feel like we're killing it and we're doing really good, pride wells up. Or if you feel like this invisible standard that we are never able to meet, we just are always full of shame. We just feel like I'm never going to measure up. I'm worthless. Even in that, we are, not a, we are not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what is a way in which we walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Or rather, what is the heart of Paul's prayer here? What's the heart that he's getting at? What is he trying to really, what is he praying for them ultimately? He's praying for them that a worthy life is not a life in which we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and try to work harder to please Jesus. Rather, a worthy life is a life in which we abide in Jesus. A worthy life is a life in which we abide in him. We rest in him. We ultimately understand that it is him who's working in us. It is him we need. He doesn't need us. We need him. A worthy life is an abiding life. So, so what might that then consist of? If we are to be a people who are abiding in Jesus, if a life that's really pleasing and worthy of the Lord is, not a, is, is more of a life that abides in him, then what does that look like? What does that really mean? What does that, how does that play itself out, feet on the ground? Well, um, that's where he continues on. So verses 9 through 10, the first part of 10, kind of frames how, I'm, how he's praying for them and for what purposes. And then verses 10 through 14 kind of show this is how this might look like. This is how this abiding might look like. So he lists, he lists three really different, has three different phrases um, that an abiding life, uh, that abiding life in Jesus might look like. So first off, let's, or I kind of want to go through each one of them. He, he first off, he says, um, uh, in verse 10. So he wants them to uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the word walk just means moving your way forward in life, fully pleasing to him. And then he first says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so upon first read, we see this idea of bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. We might see those as two separate um, deals. But really, they're interconnected with one another. They actually depend upon the other. And it's first off, when he says bearing fruit in every good work, the idea that's being communicated here, it's not that you just check your box. Okay, I did my one good deed for the day, um, uh, and then I'm good, right? That's it. That's all I got to do. But rather, 
the life of the Christian is this ongoing production of fruit. And by fruit, what we mean is, is things um, that stem from our life that are evidences of us knowing Jesus. And so in every good work, yeah, man, we want to be a people who love well. We want to be a people who are kind and patient and long-suffering. We want to be a people who um, seek the benefit of the other more than ourselves. These are all good fruits. But like I said, good fruit, the bearing fruit, it is not the means to salvation, but it certainly is the overflow from it, right? And so it's this idea that um, good works, that they are to always, we are to always be bearing fruit. Our lives are always supposed to be demonstrating that we know Jesus, right? And Jesus even has, to, but Jesus, how we are to look at how fruit is to be stemming from us, um, it's helpful for us to look back in what Jesus says in John 15. Um, he says in John 15, 4 through 5, in a text that a lot of us are probably somewhat familiar with, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit." Or what does he say after that? For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is Jesus saying here? What's he getting at? Our good works, apart from him and the work of the Spirit, cannot produce the spiritual change and transformation that we need. Abiding in him, and a life that produces good works, a life that bears fruit, is ultimately a life that is dependent and reliant on Jesus to produce those works in us, right? And so that's why we abide. Abide means to be close with, to dwell with. Um, those good works stem from him and not us. And the origin of the good works is him and not us. Are we catching something here? Are we catching the fact that bearing fruit or a worthy life might not be about what we can do, but what Jesus is doing in us. And that thought continues in the second part of, of what he's saying in this section, increasing in the knowledge of God. For those of my, who are my English nerds in here, where, where are my people at? Nope, just me. Okay. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, the, the way that that is written is that we are not the ones who are increasing the knowledge of God in us. And so, so it's more than just, it is, we want to study the Word. We want to be students of the Word. We want to know God's Word. We want to be in communication with Him. But it's this understanding that uh, our efforts and efforts alone aren't going to produce the true transformation of knowing God more. But rather, God has to be the one who's producing and working in us as we are reading, as we are studying, as we are engaging in His Word and learning more about Him. He is the active agent in the increasing knowledge of Him in our lives. The origin of us knowing Him more is not, once again, us trying to figure it out and us, apart from the Spirit, reading the Word, but rather it's us working and reading and knowing God more with this work of the Spirit within us. He is the one who's working the fruit. He is the one who's producing the Word. So, so how are these two then connected? It's, it, it, the, one commentator, he says it like this. He says, the more one truly serves him, the more one opens to knowledge of him. The more one knows him, the more one wants to serve. So it's an upward spiral that goes upward and onward. So it's this continuum of the more that I know God and his heart, 
the more that I realize it's him who's producing this fruit in me, the more that in turn then leads to me to want to reflect his heart to others, to love people, right? to be patient, to be long-suffering, to be sacrificial. Good works are unending, how they can show themselves, but we understand that the more we know God in his heart, the more that we want to show that heart to the world. Fruit. That's fruit. And so, so for instance, take this sermon. Take this sermon, for instance. I mean, for whatever reason, the Lord's allowed me this season in which I get, get to preach, and I, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's, it's, I just I love God's word. But me preaching in this word, um, this sermon that I'm giving today, in and of itself, cannot produce change and transformation in you. I pray that the Lord uses it. I pray that he, it's helpful. But at the end of the day, it, this, this, this sermon cannot produce the change and increased knowledge of God in you. But rather, it has to be the Spirit of God working through the people of God to produce, to produce change within them. And so fruit, like I said, um, fruit stems from God. Increasing in knowledge of God stems from God. And ultimately, these stem from abiding in Jesus. There's a relational aspect. And like I said, it's not that we don't strive or work. We're not passive beings, right? It's not that we don't spend intentional time with God. We need to do that. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time, right? It's not, I'm, what I'm not saying is that, all right, God's going to work in me, so I don't have to do nothing. If you hear me say that, it's not what I'm saying. We do work. We do study. We do pray. We do all these things, but it's with the understanding that the root of where the true fruit is, comes from is God working through those things, so if we're not engaging in, in, in reading the word, if we're not engaging in prayer, if we're not engaging in community with one another, um, man, then the, the, the Lord's not going to be able to use that, right? But it's through these things that the Lord uses. And what our role in that is, 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 is asking God, would you help? Lord, today as I read your word, I cannot understand it apart from you. Would you help me know you more through it? Lord, as I am uh, with these people today, how can I love them well? Because I can't love people in the true sense apart from you working. We work because God is at work. But we also understand that our pursuit of growing in knowledge, our pursuit of bearing fruit, has its root in Jesus, not in us. Has its root in Jesus and not us. And, and really what then then communicates is it stems on to the next thing that Paul is praying for them of how a worthy life might look like. He says, it continues on in verse 11. So he says, every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he says in 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So really what he's getting at here. So if the origin of, of knowing God and bearing fruit stems from him and not us, then, then, then this just continues the fact that the worthy life ultimately finds his, its strength in God and not us. The worthy life, and ultimately if, if we are needing someone to be strong for us, we're recognizing that we are what? Weak. That we have weakness. And that God is the one who makes us strong. And what I love, what he says is that um, he strengthens us with some of his power, all power. 
all the power of God, um, God fills our weaknesses with, 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 right? And like I said, when we need to be strengthened by something, what we're recognizing is that there's some kind of deficiency in us. There's something lacking in us. There's never anything lacking in God. There's never anything lacking in Him. But where the lack is found is in you and I, right? It's like this, if you're fixed, and, and, and so when we recognize that we're deficient, we can see that God can be our strength. When we feel that the, we, our own weaknesses, we can see that God um, can be our strength. And, and here's the thing. If we live long enough, um, life will get hard, right? If we go through life long enough, um, well, there will be seasons in which our sin feels super heavy. Maybe that's the season you're in right now. You feel like you can't get out of this thing. This thing is just plaguing you. You're struggling, and, and you just can't pull yourself out. Or maybe you're wrestling with doubt. Or maybe you're wrestling with an aspect of your faith that you just don't understand. And, and you woke up one day and you're just like, I don't know if I even believe this stuff. If you live long enough, you'll see people die. You'll see friends die. You'll see family go through hard times. If you live long enough, you yourself might go through some kind of suffering. God's strength ultimately means that we can be okay being weak. We can be okay understanding that I'm going to go through seasons where it's super hard. And we don't have, and here's the thing I think a problem a lot of us have is like, we feel, I think all of us on some level, feel like we have to pretend to be okay. We feel like we have to pretend like we have our life together. And that weakness actually, if we project weakness, we are actually showing the world that I'm a weak person. We, we, we in the church world, have this mindset sometimes that ultimately, Jesus, yes, he saved me, but now it's up to me to figure out how to work and be okay in this life. Being being strengthened by God and, and all his power. If, if God is giving us all power, what, what this means, and all, and getting, if he's giving us his strength, then what this means is that the strongest thing we can actually do is admit that we're weak. The strongest thing we can do is actually realize that I'm not okay. And so when he's saying being strengthened with all power, Rick said it's, it's God's power. And, and what's the purpose of that power? What's it supposed to do? It's for patience and endurance. Because, like I said, our world, our life at times will seem like we want to let go of our faith. There will be times we feel like we feel crushed by our sin. There will be times where suffering is abounding. But God's strength helps us carry us through those times. And the way we can actually tap into that strength isn't by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather it's admitting that we're weak. It's admitting I don't have it together. It's admitting, yeah, I do have this doubt. It's admitting, yeah, I am entangled by this sin. God, help me, please. It's bringing it before him. He says, uh, Peter says um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says that humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares. Exaltation? You actually being lifted up comes when you actually cast aside the things that are bothering you. And we can do that because he cares. So like I said, admitting weakness is the strongest thing you can do 
because it allows you to experience the, the grace of God more powerfully. Admitting your weakness is the strongest thing you can do because it allows you to experience the grace of God more powerfully. And you will not benefit and receive the fullness and experience the fullness of God's grace when we don't realize that we have a need. And so a worthy life recognizes that we need God's help and that God has the strength to carry us through the seasons. He has the strength to help us when our marriages are hard. He has the, but the thing is, our role in this is we have to bring it to him. We don't just like have these issues and do nothing. We, we bring it to him. And, and while we're waiting for him to answer, so we don't bring these things to just try to get an answer. We bring these things to him because bringing these things to him is a part of abiding in him. And when he does give us the answers, we praise him. But it's not necessarily about the answer, but it's about knowing him through the process until we wait for the answer. We rely on his strength. And what that inevitably does, when we man, experience God's love and grace more fully in our own weaknesses, and we see his strength more clearly as we're going through pain in this life, and we see his love and grace, what that ultimately leads is hopefully is to a heart of worship, a heart that is thankful, which is the last thing that Paul mentions here that he wants to see, that he wants, that, that, that communicates what a worthy life looks like. A worthy life looks like a, a thankful heart. A thankful heart. Look in verse 12. He says, and really verses 12 through 14 are kind of all one package deal. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like I said, a life that is worthy, that pleases the Lord, is a life that we are dependent upon him for bearing fruit, is a life that we are dependent upon him to help us. Help, him, uh, help us know him more, is a life in which we need his strength, in that, a strength that will carry us through seasons that are hard. And it's a, it's a life that ultimately recognizes because all the origin of all those things are in him, that, uh, that we are thankful. We are thankful because he is the one who's doing, helping us do all these things. We are thankful. A, a life um, that is worthy of the Lord, ultimately culminates in a thankfulness um, that is rooted in the gospel. It's a thankfulness that's rooted in the fact that I once was dead in my sin and have now been made alive because of Jesus. It's a thankfulness that understands that I once, I had no shot of helping myself getting reconciled back to God, but because what Jesus did on the cross and brought me back into relation with the Father, I, mean, I, I am now one with God. It's, it's a thankfulness that gets that and lives out of that. See, in Christ, what this text is saying, in Christ, you have been qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. What meaning, that means is that you have a heritage, you have a family, which if you're in Christ, all of us have a part in. All of us have a part in. And for that, Let's be thankful, right? In Christ, 
You have been delivered from the domain of darkness, a life in which we are entangled by sin, a life in which we are trying to find life in things that have no life. We were rescued. We were delivered from that. And, and Jesus was the one who saved us from that. And because he was the one that did that, we're thankful. Right? And, and then as a, in, in, op, in, in contrast, in Christ, we have been, we've been delivered from this and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in which you are, have full acceptance, you have full adoption, and you are fully a part of the family of God. Be thankful. And as a result of being a part of that family of God, you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to try to work hard to save yourselves. You don't have to keep trying to see um, change happen by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but rather you can expect change to happen when you rely fully on God's grace provided through the redemption he's given us through Jesus. And for that, we can be thankful. We can be thankful. See, a life of spiritual flourishing that Paul is praying for this group of people um, is ultimately rooted in what God has done for us. A worthy life, like I said, it's a life in which we die to our wills, we die to ourselves, we die to our own self-determination. We lay those things at the feet of Jesus and we abide in him. We have relationship with him. We want to be a people that we don't just know things about God, but rather we find our hope and our identity and everything about our life in him. Like I said, reliance on Jesus' grace and power and help, it's not just an aspect of a worthy life. It is the way of a worthy life. Abiding in Jesus isn't just a facet of following him. It is the way we follow him. Relationship with him. And the more that we recognize our need for Jesus and our own weaknesses and our inability to change, the more we will want to abide and spend time with him. The more we realize that I can't pull myself out of this sin, I can't restore my marriage. I can't um, know God more. The more we realize these things, that'll either lead us towards just feeling crushed or where it should lead us to is, Lord, help me. And abiding begins there. Abiding, abiding begins with Jesus. And it's this recognition that we need him. Let your need not drive you to condemnation. Let your need drive you to Jesus. And so we study the Bible, we read the Bible, we pray, we spend time in prayer with other believers, we spend time um, in community with one another, we spend time, we, all these things are good and we do these things, but at the end of the day, we do those things because we want the Lord to work through those things. That's what a worthy life is about. A worthy life is about abiding. It's not about doing, it's about abiding. And so as we um, uh, celebrate this idea of abiding in Jesus, um, we come to the table. Um, we come and celebrate communion. Um, and each week that we, we come to, commu to celebrate communion, what we are essentially doing is we are reminding ourselves that I need Jesus. I needed Jesus to, to, to break his, uh, his body. Uh, I needed Jesus to spill his blood on the cross. I needed him to do these things because apart from him, I am still stuck in my sins. But with him, um, 
and I have life. Our life comes from the blood of Christ. Our life, the way we're even able to abide with God, with Jesus, is because of what Jesus has done for us. And each week as we come to the table, this is what we're celebrating. This is what we're recognizing. We're admitting that we are a people of need. We're admitting that we are a people that need to be sustained by God's grace. And we're admitting that ultimate life is found not in what I can do, but ultimate life is found in what Jesus has already done. An abiding life isn't, moving, isn't about moving away from sin, isn't about trying to do better. Abiding, an abiding life is pushing us towards a person. And so my hope for us is, like I said, as we celebrate communion, and is that we would just be reminded of that. That this is where true rest is found, is in, in Jesus. That it's only found in his name in which um, we can find life. And so, so if you, this is your first time here, um, we do have communion at the back. Um, as we enter this time of worship, you are welcome as you want to, to go and partake of the elements. We do ask that if you're not a believer, that, that you would refrain. Um, if you're considering Jesus, I ask you to now use this space to consider Jesus. And if you feel like, man, yeah, I need him, man, come to the table. You're welcome. But here's what I want us to understand is that, like I said, a worthy life is an abiding life. And I'll end with the question that we begin with. Do you know God on just a surface level or do you know him as father? And if you feel like you don't know him as father, the best place to begin is in this space. Pray, Lord, help me know you as father. Be amazed at what the Spirit can do through that. Be amazed. And so, Lord, we are thankful that you are a God that we can abide in. You are, we are thankful, Lord, that the worthy life isn't about us trying to fix ourselves, trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather the worthy life is finding our rest and peace in Jesus. And so I pray, God, that you would help us walk in that more fully. God, I pray that you would help us know that more deeply, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us understand that we don't have to be okay. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend that we're not struggling. We don't have to pretend that we don't have these doubts. We don't have to pretend, Lord, but Lord, we can cast them at your feet and wrestle with them, Lord. Be open and bare and naked before you, God, knowing that you already know our weaknesses and that, Lord, that you will work through them. Thank you for being strong for us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for forgiving us. So Lord, would you help us? Help us be people who abide in you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.